It was actually way cooler than I expected it to be. Wow, this is very intuitive. That was cool. Oh, I did it! <laughs> Unbelievable. That was really fun, and that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> Welcome to Upward with Transfer, where we tackle the challenges of our evolving workforce and how educators, governments, and industries are changing to keep up. We're dedicated to building effective pathways for workers and job seekers to get the skills they need to enter well-paying careers in high-growth industries. We do that by designing and distributing hands-on simulations that learners can use to explore new career options and develop core skills before entering an in-person vocational training program. Transfer simulations augment human educators, broadening their range of classroom possibilities without costly facilities build-outs or expensive equipment. I'm Jack Sislak, Editorial Director at Transfer, and your host for part two of our in-depth healthcare discussion. I'm joined once again by Lori Hardy, Nurse and Director of Health Sciences here at Transfer, Sydney Beaumont, Senior Experience Designer at Transfer, another Lori, Nursing Director Lori Yates-Hodges, and another Sydney, Registered Nurse Sydney Denstorf. At the end of part one, we were discussing the use of simulations in healthcare settings to give professionals more chances to practice vital skills. We'll rejoin the conversation with Lori Hardy, talking about how VR simulations increase the ability of healthcare professionals of all kinds to perform more repetitions of important tasks without the expense of ramping up brick and mortar facilities. Well, and that speaks to the expense of building simulation labs. I mean, I was running one for 10 years. It's expensive. And I think that's one thing that, you know, VR offers in contrast to that is because you're not buying mannequins that are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and the actual brick and mortar space, people to run it. I mean, it's, it's an expensive endeavor. Now, you know, it has shown itself time and time again to be worth it. The cost benefit analysis of that, when you look at patient errors and all of that, there's always a return on investment for simulation. That's why insurance companies will give discounts for malpractice insurance if you can prove that you have done simulation within a certain amount of time. So people know that it works, but that upfront investment for hospitals, for schools of nursing or other training institutions is huge. And if they don't have that, again, you know, back to accessibility of education, VR offers another alternative where you can still have the benefits of simulation without having to build this whole expensive sim center. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wanted to hear from you, Lori Hardy, your experiences out in the field, talking to people at trade shows and stuff. What are the people you're talking to about these simulations? What are they saying when they hear, oh, you're doing that as a simulation? I mean, yeah, the response has been huge. And you know, especially people who are really looking for something cost effective and something that they can use remotely because they've got multiple locations or they've got, you know, students who are, for whatever reason, maybe not able to come to a certain space, but they can still have the access to the education. I mean, the pandemic is still fresh in all of our minds who were working in the hospitals during that time. And I had friends who were faculty and trying to graduate their students and they had no options. You know, they could not send their students into the hospital because the hospitals were shut down to anyone and everyone who didn't absolutely have to be there. And yet here we were all on the floors in the hospitals dying for those nurses to graduate and come help us. But there are guidelines and requirements for those clinical hours. And in nearly every state, you can substitute simulation for clinical hours up to a certain percent, depending on the State Board of Nursing. 
And so that's what they were trying to do, but they were literally doing it, you know, via a zoom call with like household items, trying to check these students off on skills versus and Sydney, (laughs) Sydney's giggling, but they were because they had, they didn't have any other tools to use. Um, and so I have heard from many of them like, oh my gosh, I wish we had had this, you know, during the pandemic, I wish we had had this when, you know, I had all of these, you know, new patient care techs that are coming through the door and we spend hardly any time training them because we don't have anyone to train them. I think I've read recently 66,000 people were turned away from nursing schools this fall simply because there weren't enough seats available and not enough spaces in the labs and not enough instructors. It's just like this vicious circle that we're in. And 66,000 people, we need those nurses. We're 500,000 short across the country. We need people in nursing. We're not getting there. And that old school thinking is never going to get us out of this mess. So we have to think out of the box, bringing simulation to the units, bringing it to the hospitals, bringing it in every form to get people better able and equipped to do the job. And that's why people are leaving. They're burnt out. They can't handle the workload. They don't know how to use something. They're afraid because now I'm in a situation where I, I don't know what to do. And, and that is such an awful feeling. This, these are people's lives. So we can't be messing around. We, you can't make a lot of mistakes when it comes to a human life. So it's very stressful. And that's why people are not getting what they need and staying in the profession. Dang. Well, I think this is an opportunity to bring Lori and Sydney from here over at Transfer just to talk briefly about what's coming back from testing or from the field of like, what are people most excited about when it comes to the, the sims that we're putting together? And then what skills you found were extremely well suited to VR? Sure. Well, one note that VR lends itself to and in, in the immersive way that the learning experiences are formatted, we have different inputs that enhance your acceptance, your integration, understanding what sort of um, information is being communicated. So thinking of actually visualizing, for example, where contamination might be through contamination mapping, establishing these visual conventions throughout our different simulations so that when someone is donning and doffing PPE, it's understood, oh, I can interpret the front of my gown as dirty, my back as clean. There are these concepts that can be built out that way and more strongly reinforced. I mean, also, in the VR space, you use um, what you have available there. We can scale up body parts, have three-dimensional models of different pieces of equipment, or you know, see a cross-section of an ear canal for where to position a thermometer. There are all these ways of you know leveraging the technology to make a richer experience that's effective. And that's really the objective of the product that we build, is that it is effective. Something like, you know, the soft skills, again, patient autonomy, dignity, consent, the fact that throughout these simulations, we can build in points of exposure just to uh, diverse patient sets using standardized patient methodology and differently abled, differently presenting, differently mobile or communicative Just the variety of these scenarios provides people with initial exposure, which is useful for learning. Awesome. Yes. And Lori, anything to add there? 
Yeah, I mean, I've been doing simulation for several years and I had used VR. I had purchased VR as a sim director for, um, you know, our staff. Hodges and I actually worked together. She was the unit manager. I was her educator. And we started that staff doing simulation when I very first started doing simulation before I went full time into sim. And it was life changing for them. We had nurses who had been taking care of NICU babies for years who, after a simulation, would say, this is the first time in 20 years that I really understand all of this. So I, you know, was familiar, but I had never endeavored to build VR sims. So, you know, it's a huge deal, right? I mean, that's like Lori said, people's lives, but, you know, healthcare is on fire and has been on fire for a long time. And if you want innovation, that takes time. That's a proactive thing. No one there has that time. You know, they are literally getting by day by day, shift by shift, patient by patient. And that's where I feel like we can really serve that market. And we don't have the skill set that Sydney has. We don't have the skill set that the other people at Transfer have to create these simulations. We know what they should be, but I don't have that kind of expertise to do what Sydney does. And what I so appreciated about working with Sydney with this was she really understood how important these sims were and took that very, very seriously and how important it was to us to create something that was really going to serve, you know, people who are taking care of patients. Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. That combination of your background and your skills mixed with the technical skills brought here. And that actually leads into, I just wanted to ask Sydney when it comes to building of the Sims, were there any sort of interesting challenges that came up as you were working on this? That would be an interesting story. Well, absolutely. I mean, so many challenges, what this product line is significantly different for transfer and the other types of modules that we've created. Here we're dealing with patients. We're not working on a helicopter engine or um, a diesel truck. These are real people who must be treated with dignity, respect, engaged with. You must get consent before you touch someone. So that means communication. You know, this is a dynamic space now. So how do you do communication in VR? And how do you also evaluate someone for whether or not they're independently knowing when to communicate, how to communicate, when to perform a certain task? So building in functionality and thinking about what those, say, interfaces or ways of indicating what a user or participants are doing and to provide them feedback accordingly. Um, you know, this took a different level and a different way of thinking about how to build our simulation, certainly. The way that Lori Hardy is describing a nurse to me, it sounds like you're constantly running the numbers, just interpreting your, your space in so many different ways. You might go in to take a heart rate. You're looking at what's going on with their breathing, whether or not they're in pain, any other indicator, you know, just interpreting it. And, and I think, you know, there's a certain level of gamification that we can do in our simulations that almost is in dialogue with the type of calculation that you're constantly running as a nurse. Being able to provide people immersive context that challenges and prompts critical thinking, which is so essential to the variety of types of patients and cases. You know, no, no one patient is the same. So, there needs to be some sort of built-in variety. And um, what we can do in VR is throw some someone in there and say, okay, what does it mean to 
have a colite dangling down? Or what does it mean to see that they have an issue with their skin? What is, what is that intersection of another skill that kind of needs to be interpreted at the same time, whether or not the, it's, you know, squarely fitted with the objective of a given skill that you think that you're in the process of addressing? Right. It's not that simple. You don't always get to just come in, do A to B and then get out. It's like, oh, no, here comes another thing that I have to deal with. Exactly. You you have to read the space, interpret what's going on and factor that in. Awesome. This has been a really amazing conversation. And I want to swing it back over to Sydney D to talk about how well prepared you felt to, to start when you, you first got on the job. And do you feel like you were supported along that way and that the hospital was well staffed with experienced nurses and, and other professionals for you to learn from? What, what, what's, your, what's that part of your journey been like? Um, I would say that I was in a better position than most new hires because I had worked at that location for just shy of two years. So I knew the staff, I knew the doctors, I knew where a lot of things were stored. I mean, I have a lot to learn. I still have so much to learn. It's going to continue for years and years. However, I think that I was starting at a different point in the race than your average new grad because of those experiences. So as far as do we have, are we well staffed? Um, usually we are not staffed well enough to really have my preceptor, the person who's training me, able to either be by my side or available for questions at all time on numerous occasions, actually. I have been comfortable enough where I am leading the patient care and in the room, but I come out because I do have a question and my preceptors had to take another patient. So are they available for questions? Sometimes, but like they're also uh, helping to manage someone else's care. So I have to ask someone else or just figure it out. So yeah. Uh, are we always staffed for everything? No, we're not. And some of the other nurses are burned out from training and teaching all the time. And I hate to say it, but have gotten into bad nursing habits because we've had to take shortcuts in order to handle the patient load that we have. So it's not always best to learn from some people who've been there a while because they know the tricks. So yeah, mixed bag, mixed Dang. bag. <laughs> Let's maybe try to, to swing things in a more positive direction as we start to move towards wrapping up here, which is how can whoever, us or other people in the healthcare industry, like make it more enticing, make people more excited about getting into the healthcare industry, getting to nursing, etc. Yeah, so I think nursing is really attractive in a lot of ways, actually, even though um, we've been decimated through the pandemic. I think we have flexible hours. Now, some people don't want to work off hours, but but then the offside to that is we're off when some people are at work all the time. And we only have to work three days a week to be full time. We also offer lots of combination things like weekend only or part time. So you work two 12s a week. And that's really enticing to young moms or people that don't really want to work full time and maybe they want to work maybe a day or two a week. So I think there's certain things that are built into that. Um, you can work anywhere in the world. You will always have a paycheck. You get to work with lots of different types of people and it's very entertaining. We see a lot of interesting stuff. It's not all just blood and guts. It's a lot of psychotherapy type of work and counseling, which is really, really challenging and interesting. And you can do all kinds of different types of nursing. You can teach, you can work in clinics, you can do surgery, you can deliver babies, you can work in the ED. So we have so much to offer and all walks of life work side by side. And that's what makes it really fun and challenging. 
Okay, Sydney, thoughts on you know revitalizing the healthcare industry for the new era? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I think about the simulations and what it means to be able to empower someone with this content. Think about healthcare itself. I mean, what an incredibly valuable set of skills to have. Healthcare providers are true superheroes. What they manage, the difference they make, you know, inside a clinical environment or outside of it, to know this content is is really, you know, there's kind of no limit to its application. I also think about what the simulations provide and thinking about retention in healthcare and the field. And often people will go in to your career and not really know what's involved. Yeah, yeah. These simulations give you an opportunity to have exposure to, okay, what actually am I going to get into? What does it really mean? Okay, yeah, okay, catheter care. Um, (laughs) This is, oh, I can do that. It makes sense. Um, This is what's involved. This is how you do it. Uh, This is what there is to look out for. So, yeah, it's empowering content itself, and the format is empowering. And I, I think that's a real hopeful set of conditions for this field. Just wrapping up here, just getting towards the end, I just wanted to ask Lori and uh, Sydney from Transfer here, where do you see sim training going uh, in this vertical in the future? And then what are some challenges that you all hope to address with the future sims? You know, as we continue developing this content specifically for healthcare, it gets richer. Our familiarity within our team, within our company, with the material and how to treat it and how to find those nuances and build stories around them instructional stories and experiences that are really driving home what the objectives are. You know, the technology itself continues to develop and expand. So on on the horizon, there's multiplayer. There are these skills that are suited toward different types of professions. Um, The modularity, again, of these skills, accreditation, questions, ways of working with mastery, the structure of the simulations themselves and how complex perhaps, you know, in instances where you perform a step in a procedure in a certain way, what are the consequences? How do you build that in to make more of a conditional or a branching simulation experience that isn't always linear and and perhaps increasingly reflective of what uh, healthcare providers encounter when they're on the job? So... Right now, I think, you know, just as Sydney described, you know, how she started out working in the hospital in a patient care tech role and then moved into becoming a nurse and how helpful that was to her. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about nursing because we had three nurses on the podcast, but, you know, you have EMS and respiratory therapy and occupational therapy and pharmacy and pharmacy techs and, secretaries, health information, you know, people that work in healthcare that don't touch patients. There's all kinds of roles within that ecosystem that then can lead to all kinds of other roles. And so what we really want to do is kind of design that career pathway 
and give people choices around, okay, now that I have maybe this set of skills, what could I do with it? And then what are my options once I sort of then gain another set of skills? There are a lot of people who think about working in healthcare and think nurses and doctors, but there are so many more roles than that, that people just don't even know about. And so we really want to kind of shine a light there so that people see what the options are, because, you know, it's very hard to sort of select into something that you don't even know exists, right? So growing that awareness and then really helping people see how they can move down that pathway um, to wherever they want to go. This has just been amazing. So much to chew on here. I hope everybody at home had a great time listening. We really appreciate having you here and the work you're doing. And it's really great to hear how it's touching lives. That about does it for us here at Upward with Transfer. Thank you so much for your time and have a really great day. 